breath of heaven, breath of heaven, fill us all. The creative breath of God that spoke in the universe came into existence. Spoke simply in human form. In Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, after his resurrection, came into that upper room, he said, as he approached his disciples, it says in the text, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God. And may throughout this Christmas season you experience such a presence. It doesn't get any better than this. That is His presence. It really doesn't. Being a procrastinator and negligent as I often have been in my life, or I am, I should say I am, I found myself in the dentist chair for four hours this past week. I asked for it all at once. I didn't need to keep coming back. I didn't need my mouth, which by which I've made my living, numbed more than once. And as the aesthetic anesthesia is going to work, there's a pause and the dentist turns to the assistant and says, where's the music? And she says, oh, I'll go turn it on. So I still had function enough of my mouth and lips and tongue to ask him. I said, well, do you have your own CDs here in the office or do you have a service that you pay and you pipe it in? He says, oh, no, we have a service. And he says, it's, it's Pandora's. And I thought, oh, my gosh. We're approaching Christmas. Pandora, Pandora's box in Greek mythology, when they popped that open, all manner of evil came out. And I'm saying, what is this? What kind of suffering am I going to have here if the demons jump on my mouth? And I thought, you know what? And I had the greatest surprise that I've had in a while because the most beautiful instrumental orchestra music without the lyrics came out of Christmas carols and hymns. And as I lay there, I, I could, because there were no lyrics, I began to anesthetize myself by, listening, by in my mind, singing the songs along. And I could, re I surprised. I, I went, I started in church years ago in my mother's womb. So I suppose for 78 years, every Christmas, I've heard these carols and hymns. And I was surprised, Holly. I could, first verse, second verse, fourth verse, I just could just keep going with these songs. And, and our, uh, the carols that we're singing during this month and the hymns that we sing are related to Christmas. They, they speak of angels and shepherds and Mary and Joseph and wise men and all the different characters in the narrative, right? And then some carols go through the whole smear and they cover everybody, making sure to leave nobody out by the time we get through. And this is the story that we rehearse at Christmas. We sing it, but behind the carols and hymns that we sing, there is a basic story behind the story. And it was given to us out of the early church via the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. There's a section of scripture there that is considered to be an early church hymn. And 
this is the song, the hymn. It's a story that lies behind all that we sing about at Christmas. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. If we're going to have the first slide here, move it on. I've already got my introduction. Believe it or not, I'm shortening it up. Wow, you're helping. Paul talks to the Philippians. He begins with, uh, before he gets to the hymn, because the hymn is going to be an illustration, an example of what he's talking about. He gives the Philippian church an, a, an exhortation, and you have it there on the screen. If your experience, he says to them, of Christ's encouraging love means anything to you, if you are cooperating with his Holy Spirit, if, if you share in his kindness and his compassion, then live in harmony, live in love, live in like-mindedness, he says. Do not harbor feelings of rivalry or pride, but in humility put others and their needs before yourself. And then he gives us this hymn as we move into the text. He says, have this mind. Now, when he says mind, this is not just a mental process is it, that he's talking about here. It's not so much intellectual knowing of the mind. He didn't go, you know, uh, and read a book on the self-giving nature of God. He didn't Google, you know, a sacrifice and find an answer and think about it. He didn't even get in the chat room and begin to debate with somebody else the, the virtues or the lack of virtue in loving your neighbor as yourself, the advantages and disadvantages. He didn't do that. It's not a mental thing. He's saying that we should have in us a willing attitude and a chosen action of life. Now here it is. Which was in Christ Jesus. And here's the hymn. Be who being in the distinctive nature and character of God did not consider equality with God the Father something to be grasped. His right, he, he didn't grasp and hold on to his right to have the essence of godliness that the Father had and that the Spirit had. He said I, he wouldn't grasp and hold on to it. Can you, can, you, can you hear the discussion in heaven? The Father says, look at the people we've created in our image and they've just gone again. Everything that we asked them not to do, they've done it. And now we had to take them out of Eden and put them east of Eden. And here they're living in their sin. Who is going to help go down and show them the way back to us that they lost when they got kicked out of the garden? Who's going to do that? Jesus said, well, how about you, Father? I mean, I, you know, I've done my part. The Spirit of God says, now, wait a minute. I can't exhaust myself going down there and do it. Can you imagine that? Sounds like something out of the shack, if you ever read that book. No. The hymn says that Jesus did not consider his equality with the Spirit and the Father something to be held on to. But rather, as the text continues, he chose to empty himself. Now, you don't know this, and you don't need to know this, but in 
in theological circles, the Greek word here is kenosis, and it means to empty. And we've had, for 2,000 years, a debate about how it was that Jesus set aside his divinity in order to come to this earth as human. I put it this way. He put his divinity in a blind trust. Now, if you're up on your politics, that's not a new phrase, right? Is he or is he not, President-elect, going to put his business in a blind trust? Bob, I'm not going to get into politics now. Okay, are you still awake? No, you're not. You're missing the best part, Bob. <laughs> I'm talking politics. Hey, you know, for the last 40 years, parenthetically, for the last 40 years, our presidents, when they were president-elect, they put our business they had and stuff, they put it in a blind trust. They had nothing to do with it. Somebody else administered. They didn't know anything about what was going on the whole time. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into what's happening now. It just is happening. Okay, it is what it is. But Jesus checked out of his divinity. Taking the very nature and character of a human being, yes, even that of a humble, obedient servant who was willing to die for others that others might have life. That's the hymn. <laughs> Jesus came to us because he did not grasp and hold on to. But he had that, that, that characteristic of God, which is in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is to give yourself away to the needs of whatever needs to be met until there is a resolution, there is health and wholeness and healing and the will of God done again. That's the whole purpose. And let's have the next slide there. I've gone ahead of myself, I think. So for us, if this was the nature of Jesus, now hold on now. If this, is the, if this is a godly character and nature and trait of God, which is so manifested to us in Jesus Christ, to be self-giving, to be thinking not of oneself, not holding on and grasping after what we have earned and what we've put together and what is ours, but to empty ourselves give it away that life might come to others for God's nature to be like this then if God lives in us then we will be the same way we will be the same way and that's a little bit of a heavy I pleaded with the Father in the Spirit that I might have something more joyful more positive more upbeat to give you on my last message here and, but I can't shake this one. This is what's working in me, so you're getting what was working in me. And, I would, and I'm praying that God will work it fully and wholesomely in each of you. To have God's nature and character is to give up my rights to my rights and let his self-giving life be lived in me and lived out through me. That's a phrase from Oswald Chambers, to give up my right to my rights. And the rest of it's PJ. That's me. Okay, what does this look like? Very quickly. 
We all know the story of Abraham. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, brought him to the Palestine and said, here, I am going to bless you. And I'm going to do something very special through you, Abraham, through you and your seed, your offspring, generation after generation after generation, I am going to bring blessing to people. And the end of that blessing, that wasn't told Abraham at the time, it was the birth of Christ. God's greatest gift to us, the greatest blessing to us is his presence in Jesus Christ. And this was the promise to Abraham. And Abraham, remember, and Sarah couldn't conceive. And here they're in their early 80s. And all of a sudden Sarah's pregnant. So uh, don't lose hope, folks. Okay. I think uh, metaphorically and spiritually what that means is God keeps birthing new things in us, right? And so Isaac is born. The promise, the way the promise and the blessing to all the earth is going to come is in Isaac now because the generations are beginning to reproduce. And then God comes to, to Abraham and says, now Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, go up on this mountain and sacrifice him to me. Many scholars think that Abraham just misunderstood what he was being told. He, and it was the culture of the time. Uh, people often, there was a lot of human child sacrifice going on. But whatever was in Abraham's mind, he said to his son as they went up the hill, God will provide a sacrifice. <laughs> and you know how the story ends. He's about to slay his son on this altar, and he's stopped by an angel. Now, what was at work in Abraham that would take the word to him that he should sacrifice his son. He is now surrendering his right to everything God has promised him. Everything. And out of that came life. His willingness to lay down his life at whatever the cost that life might come forth. Moving on. We have sung and lit a candle in remembrance of Mary this morning. Here is Mary. She is engaged to Joseph. You know the story. What the joy must have been in her heart anticipating her marriage to Joseph. And the angel comes and says, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the child to be born is the Son of God. Hmm. And go on and on about what the neighbors are going to say and blah, blah, blah. All that's involved in that kind of trauma. It was Bethlehem. It was in Arnold. It was a small town. Everybody would know. And she asks questions of the angel and the discussion comes. And at the end of the discussion, what do you hear Mary say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She has surrendered her right to her rights. The nature and character of God is already deeply involved in working in her. This kind of begins to understand the story that we read so often about the young ruler that comes to Jesus in the Gospels and he's, he, he wants to know how it is that he's to receive life, eternal life. He's done everything right according to the law that he knows to do and Jesus turns to him and he's very rich and he's got all this stuff. He earned it. He deserves it. He got the right to spend it any way he wants to. And Jesus says to him, if you want to have life, then you go sell everything you have 
give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, if everyone who was ever rich, God said that to everyone who was ever rich, we, you know, the jig would have been up, right? The money would all been spent. Everybody had been fed. And what would you do when the money runs out? This is the point behind this story of Jesus' encounter with the young ruler is simply, if you will lay down your right to everything you have that you earned, you deserve, it's yours by just good effort and inheritance, etc. If you will lay it down, not hold it to yourself, I'll give you life. Hmm? He came to the disciples. He called them out. He said, if you desire to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny myself? What do you mean deny myself? <coughs> Lay down in the godly characteristic and nature of God your right to your right and I'll give you life abundantly way beyond anything you can put together for yourself. And you saw this in Jesus. We rehearse this all the time when it comes to Jesus. Let's have the next slide there, Matt, Mar yeah, Marshall. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sends me. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Not as I will, but as you will, Father. What Jesus said to his Father and the Spirit in heavenlies, when he came to earth, he lived it out. And all the while, the Spirit of God is in him and upon him, causing him to be able to do the will that the Father sent him to do, just as God's desire is for us as we walk in the Spirit. And then you have finally Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, wow, what in the world? And I no longer live. Well, hello, is this an apparition I see in front of me? But Christ lives in me, and the physical life I live, I live by faith in Christ who loves me and gave himself for me. I die daily. And I set my right to myself aside every day, and I am God's person for other people that he wants me to share life with. That's what Paul's saying. All right, let me just, uh, what does that look like for you and me? Having the attitude and chosen action of Jesus, looking first to the interests and needs of others. What does that look like to me? Now, if you've missed, the, missed it quite up to this point in my much verbiage, let me just start at the very simplistic level. Some years ago, it, well, it's always been my occasion to bring my wife, Linda, uh, candy, especially C's candy on some special occasions. And when I'm really, you know, getting it right, I, for no occasion at all, I bring it, Right? Men, you got that? So anyway, uh, and I, for years I brought her nuts and chews. I love nuts and chews. <laughs> and one day, I don't know why, I guess she finally got brave enough. I, I don't want to say that. I, I'm some oh, terrible husband. Some, some days. She said, honey... I know you love nuts and chews. I love creams. <laughs> so what do I bring her now? 
yeah, I bring our creams. Now, I can always buy nuts and chews too at the same time, right? I keep this thing going. That, that's the, you see the simplest thing of thinking of others first rather than one's own interests. On a more serious level, when we were raising our children, and most of you in the room, when you were raising your children, you were aware of laying down your right to your rights. For the sake of your children, you didn't do certain things. You didn't say certain things. You didn't go certain places because you were trying to train them. Places that you might go as an adult or things you might say as an adult, things you might eat or drink as an adult, but you didn't want to set that example in front of your kids, and so you set aside your rights for them, right? You understand how that works. I was thinking this past week a little more seriously about Ed and Evelyn Potts. They're both past, and all their relatives that I knew are past. But Evelyn had suffered breast cancer. She'd gone through the whole, all the surgery, and she'd had all the radiation and all the chemo. And she was in remission, and they said, you, you know, you could take to taking, taking these little chemotherapy pills on a regular basis, and you should have two or three years more in your life. I mean, this will sustain you and keep you going. Well, then her husband, Ed, got liver cancer. And within three months, he was gone. During that three months, Evelyn didn't take her chemo pills because of the reaction that she felt every time she took them. And she wanted to be fully present for Ed through this experience that he had. And three months after he passed, she passed. She laid aside her right to stay healthy for the sake of being fully present with him. Huh? That's what we're talking about here. I know this is all, it gets into high drama here after a while. Now let me finish it with real high drama. I think I related this story here once before. Danny, you, you would know one of the girls involved in this story. There's two university students, girls, we're in our congregation. One of them was just, you know, right off the front pages of Vogue. And she was being stalked by a young man in his 20s. And it's actually happened out in the tarmac of the church parking lot one Sunday night. The man approached the two of them as they were <clears throat> walking across the tarmac and he had driven up in a van and he pulled in front of them and he jumped out with a gun and he told both of them to get in the back of the van. The less attractive girl had full presence of mind and she knew that her <laughs> glamorous girlfriend was of such a nature that if this man raped her, she it would just it would just not only devastate her, it would ruin her. She just it wasn't the structure emotionally at that or, or mentally at that point in her life to be able to handle something like this. And she said to the man, young man with the gun, don't rape her. Take me. And he did and her friend was left whole. Take not thought for yourself. 
lay down your right to your rights and be there for the needs of others. It actually happened. I'm not making these up. I, I could just tell you as I come to conclusion here in my own life, converted at eight with tears and repentance and nothing happening to change my character. Running from a call from God to be a pastor for seven years after I said I would do it when I was 17. Graduated from seminary in the ministry for six and a half years. And I discovered that I had not participated in what the text is talking about here. As I sat in that room that morning with other pastors, I just bowed my head and I said, Lord, get me in or get me out. My marriage is on the rocks. The people at church who love me so much, I've seen no change in their life the last six and a half years. You showed that to me this week. I'm devastated. I'm giving it all up. I'm just laying it all out there. Whatever you want to do with me or not do with me, work through me or not work through me, that this is it. Something happened. I discovered that when one lays down their life, God does take over. He does fill us with himself. And he does things through us that are all unplanned and ex- un- ex- extraordinary and, and very common at the same time. And he just moves. Because when we step in and take on ourselves the character of Jesus by yielding our rights to our rights. Well, now, this may have been too heavy for some of you. This may have been over your heads for others of you. I, I'm not judging your intellect or your attention at this point. I'm just saying it might have been this way. So let me conclude this way. Let's have this last little Mother Teresa kind of thing. When others are hurtful, forgive them anyway. This is the nature and character of laying down your rights. When others are insensitive, be kind anyway. When others are jealous, go ahead and be successful. When others are destructive, be creative. When others are critical, be happy anyway. And when others reject you, love them anyway.